Hi there, this is Steve, but this isn't the beginning of the show. Before we begin, I invite you to check out my free masterclass called The Surprising Path to Excellence. If you're an entrepreneur, business owner, or leader with financial responsibility in your company, you'll definitely not want to miss this one. I'll cover how a winning strategy combined with operational excellence drives higher cash flow and firm value. You can watch it for free at cultbar.com. I'll also link it in the show notes below. I hope you enjoy it. You're listening to the Strategic Financial Leadership Podcast, a podcast for entrepreneurs, business leaders, and professionals who want to elevate their game and reach new levels of abundance and success. I'm Steve Coffrin, the founder of Coltvar, and I've spent my entire career growing and turning around companies, and together we'll explore the latest happenings in the world of strategy and finance. Let's do this. Before we begin, just remember that this podcast is for educational purposes and the information shared herein should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Check out our terms and conditions in the show notes to learn more. Now onto the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Strategic Financial Leadership. Today I have Kurt Stein on the show. He is the president and COO of DCT Strategy, which is a consulting firm. And you know, Kurt can tell us more about that here in just a minute. But today we're going to be talking about leveraging AI to drive better and faster decisions at scale. So, I mean, there's there's technology that's at our fingertips and that's great, right? It's great technology to have, but if it's not allowing us and empowering us to make better decisions to ultimately drive more firm value or to drive innovation or enhance the customer experience, then you just have these fun little widgets and toys, but it's not really doing much. It's not contributing to much and it could just be a distraction. So I'm excited to jump in to today's conversation. So welcome, Kurt, to the show. Thanks for having me, Steve. All right. So let's start off. Talk to us about your background. Just give us the the quick version, but how did you end up doing what you do today? Yeah, it's it's not a quick it's not a quick story, but I will shorten it. Sure. Um, I, I say on on many of these podcasts that I did not grow up tinkering with toys or taking apart computers or thinking about flying to the moon like Elon Musk. Right? I, I didn't think about those things. I actually started my career at UPS, okay. a completely different industry. And the training I got on that side was uh, I was in a union at first, and then I moved into management. So I learned leadership and managing people, but managing people through uh, not saying, hey, you're fired or you're, you're in trouble. That didn't work for union employees. You actually had to motivate people through respecting them, giving them respect and motivating them to work hard. Because who wants to go unload a trailer in the summertime, 52 foot long for $8 an hour? It's yeah. it's not, yeah. not something, you can't really motivate them a lot. So I went there and then I moved from the union into management. And that's where I got a lot of management experience by dealing with pressure, dealing with stress. Because I don't know if you ever saw that movie with FedEx and Tom Hanks. So they always talked about time at FedEx. Everything's time, time. It was the same thing at UPS. It was you had three hours to complete a job. And if it didn't complete in that amount of time, it was it, it was you had issues. Right. I mean, they were coming down on you pretty hard. And it wasn't a typical environment where it's like you get written up. I mean, they would yell at you. They would you know, embarrass you in front of people too. It was in the operation side. And this is back in the nineties. So I don't know if the culture's changed at all, but I learned a lot. It was, you have time, you have to make, you know, make it happen and you have to eliminate all excuses. There was not an excuse to get anything done. So I worked midnight shifts, paid myself through college. They gave me tuition reimbursement. So I worked the midnight shift and I learned a lot about, again, motivating people. How do you motivate somebody on the midnight shift, how to do a great job and then yep. get out of there and not have a miserable night because nobody wants that. 
I was then offered an opportunity to get an interview at AT AT&T in sales. And I had to arrive at a hotel in New Jersey after leaving work at about 5 a.m., throw on a suit, go to a hotel and had to go through a sales role play, which I never did before in my life. I, I didn't I didn't know anything about that. Right. So it doesn't matter if somebody coaches you and says, here's what you should say or here's how you should say it. When, when the when the moment happens, it's just you. Right. And you have to try to remember everything. So. I actually remembered it all. I had to sit in front of a fictitious CFO and CEO and and pitch a solution and you know going through the thought process of why I would I would do that solution and I got the job. Obviously, if I failed that, I wouldn't have been working at ATT. And I spent the next 16 years at ATT as a client business manager with responsibility for a growing revenue of ATT within accounts. And when I left ATT, I had five accounts assigned to me. It was BlackRock, uh Mediterranean Shipping Company, which is the largest uh, cargo shipping company in the world now. Sherman and Sterling, Skadden Arps, and Atlas Copco, a, a large global uh, mining manufacturing company. So I learned how to work with executives and the technology. And you know, that's where I was pretty much inundated with learning everything I could from a technology side. I left AT&T and I went on to what was called the solution provider side, which is the channel side of AT&T. And I grew a company there for the last nine years that you know supports clients on that side, the tech, uh, basically trusted advisor side. And what I saw was how so many companies needed the guidance, the consultant, the consultation of what I should do, how I should do it, what companies should I work with, should it be AT&T or somebody else. And that's why I came up with, let's let's look at digital transformation because that was becoming more prevalent a couple of years ago. And I built the consulting company called DCT Strategy, which focuses on digital transformation. Yep. And as everybody knows, everybody started asking more and more last year for AI. So majority of my practice now is my data scientists coming to the companies and work with them on AI, making sense of AI. So my journey went from completely different industry to learning everything from a technology and telecommunications side at AT AT&T to then finding, hey, there's a, a consultation area here to help customers to be more on the forefront of advising clients. And that's what we did from a digital transformation, migrate into AI. And now it's companies just don't understand all that there is to offer from an AI perspective. And that's where we're spending most of our time now. Yeah. So with all the technological advancements, I mean, things are moving so fast. I mean, especially with artificial intelligence. I mean, every app that I use pretty much is is starting to incorporate AI into the app. I mean, I was just on a Zoom call just a little bit ago with a client and there is a, an add-on, an AI chatbot add-on that takes notes, right, of the whole entire Zoom. So it'll transcribe the entire conversation, it'll email it out automatically, and it learns your voice, and it does a lot of cool things. But even like my CRM and other uh, tech products that I use in my business, AI is starting to be incorporated in everything. So with all this stuff happening and all these technological advancements beyond AI too, with data analytics and just other advancements in tech, first, my first question is, how do you stay on top of it, Kurt? But then What's your recommendation for other people to stay on top of it? Because I've been a you know in a CFO role and work is busy. It's crazy. You have deadlines. I mean, there's just like not enough time in the day just to handle what you're responsible for, let alone stepping aside and saying, hey, let me just, you know, take five hours this week and learn about everything that's going on in the world of tech. Yep. I mean, it's it's a good point, right? So if if you think about it, we we have to specialize. People have to specialize in something. You have to give your time to one thing. If you start splitting your time up, it's very difficult to become an expert 
in many different areas, right? I mean, you have to really put the hours in. What was that in uh, in Outliers or things like that? Malcolm Gladwell talking about 10,000 hours, right? Everybody talks about how many hours you have to put into something. So you're right. A CFO that's focused on the business itself to then start learning AI, that'd be a side project. You'd have to look at a lot of forums and listen to a lot of announcements and really try to inundate yourself and what's going on there. But it becomes challenging with all the changes. So how do I do it? Uh, we're, We're talking to customers all the time. We're on all the forums. We are listening to all the players out there. For instance, at Microsoft right now, just announced uh, Bing Chat Enterprise. So they just announced that today, along with working with Meta on their large language model to release on Azure and Microsoft. So this just happened today. They're just talking about it. So if you're not plugged into it and listening to it all the time and speaking to clients and reading information and being participating in large groups of people that are sharing information all the time, then you can't stay on top of it. So what I would suggest to anybody else is you have to find that network, either of working with folks like ourselves, or you form your own network with people that understand this and gather what you can from that, that makes the most sense for you. So you know the direction to go in. That makes sense. So there's some people out there that say AI is overhyped. And they they say, look, you know, artificial intelligence, it's a good thing, but, you know, it's kind of blown out of proportion because I've talked to people in like the CPA space or just in the financial services space about, you know, how in the future I can uh, imagine you just type in a few inputs and it'll build out a financial model for you. And it it probably already exists. I don't even know about it, but there's things that are going to happen, even with like financial auditing. I spent some time at Ernst & Young um, on the audit side. And I imagine it'll just be a matter of time where you just, you know, have this AI plugin bot and it, it can just audit the financials, look for any material irregularities. And, you know, it can help real, if, if not a, automate the whole entire thing, at least cut down significantly the number of hours that are spent by humans going through the data. So what are your thoughts on AI? Is it is it overhyped and how do you see it changing the world of business? Well, uh, you know, you, everybody always says, follow the money, right? You know, people say things, but if you really want to see where things are going, watch what's done, right? It's not what you say, it's what you do. So if you look at it, Ernst & Young is investing, I, I believe, a billion dollars into, into AI. Uh, KPMG is working with Microsoft to open AI. They have a billion dollars. PwC just announced a billion dollars. Bloomberg, I think it's $5 billion or maybe even more from Bloomberg GPT. The list goes on and on and on. You have Microsoft now with, with Meta. Microsoft, huge investments in open AI. So if you look at the amount of money that's being invested in there, with, with so many companies, by the way, it would have to tell you that it's something that's staying and there's a reason why they're doing it. Now, I, I understand why some people would think, oh, it's just, it's you know fear of missing out, people talk about, or it's really overhyped. It's not, though. I, I come from the perspective of, I don't want AI to replace everybody. I want AI to enhance mm-hmm. what we're already doing. So take your example from an audit perspective. You absolutely could build AI models right now, which ingests any data you want. It can ingest financials, audits, et cetera. You build a model that gives you, provides you the information that you want to look at as a CPA. Mm-hmm. So what it's going to do, the benefit it should provide to you is it could do that much more. It could bring in probably a thousand customers and audit a thousand uh, clients. And then the information comes to you, you as a CPA or a lead get to look at the last final measure and then check off. This makes sense. Yes, I like this. Yes, this output's correct. No, this doesn't make any sense. I don't like what's been given here. 
you have the final say so. But you, the way they need to look at it is it should be a productivity enhancement, mm-hmm. right? From that perspective, it allows you to do more. So I'll give you an example. These Northwestern Mutual had underwriting that took six to eight weeks by using AI to cut it down to two weeks. So right. let's yeah. talk about that from a business perspective. Forget about like people think, oh, people are going to be fired. I don't think, I think people just get reappropriated or moved around to different roles. But imagine the customer experience. You used to wait six to eight weeks. Now it gets done in two weeks. You get underwriting approved. You have your policy for whatever it is you're looking for. That has got to increase revenues, top line revenues into the business. So there has to be some benefits there. Yeah, I agree. I absolutely agree. So if somebody's listening to this and like, oh crap, you know, my job is going to get replaced with AI. You know, I'm out. Like, what am I going to do? Should they be fearful about the AI revolution? Um, are there things that they should be focusing on to reskill themselves, upskill themselves? And what are your thoughts on on that overall? You kind of touched on it, but let's dive a little bit deeper into that subject. Yeah, I mean, if you look look throughout history too, and, and not to, I'm not to take it back for any other reason, but to give more clarity to people. So you know, you had horses back in a horse and wagon time. People love their horses, right? And horses. That's what we're going to do. And then cars came along. We're never getting rid of these horses. Those cars break down. And eventually, you know, cars and vehicles took over from a horse perspective. It just it just took over in time. Then you have the Internet. I started AT&T when Internet really started exploding in 97, 98. We were telling people to get email addresses. They were like, we're not going to do that. We don't need the Internet. Yeah. What is that? Right. You go back and think about it. It's like you can't live without the Internet now. So technology continues to change. I understand that people, that's the hardest part is change with people. People don't like to change. Mm -hmm. It's understandable. But what I would coach or advise people is not to be fearful of AI from the perspective that we're talking about here. It's to learn about it. Educate yourself on it because most people fear what they don't know. So if you educate yourself on it and understand how it works within the business, then you're going to become an... uh, um, an ally within the business, and you're going to help the business to succeed in what it needs to do. I mean, think if you said, I I don't care about the internet, I'm never going to learn the internet. What job would you have today? You would have a very difficult time having a job. So you do have to reskill yourself from that perspective. And then look, there are things that people talk about AGI, artificial general intelligence. That's the thing that a lot of people talk about. It's Elon, the governments, the European Union, the, 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 the security councils talking about it. It's like, what happens if it becomes intelligence. Yes, that could pose a problem. I'm not going to put my head in the sand and say that wouldn't be a potential problem, but you're hoping that people are looking at these things and putting some governance and checks and balances in there so they don't allow things to get to get out of control. But bottom line is you do need to learn it. It will benefit you. You do have to understand what it can do for you and then become a, a part of the business that understands AI and can show your boss, your manager, the executives, the board, here's all the things it can do for us. Here's the top line revenue you could generate. Here's the productivity enhancements. I believe that will provide a lot of opportunities for people going forward. Sure. You know, in, I, in any business. I agree. I mean, it's interesting, Kerr. You know, for the last decade, I've been traveling around the country talking about this concept of strategic financial leadership. And the whole genesis of this, this concept is that, you know, in the accounting finance world, too many people, at least back in the day, more especially, but there's still a lot of people in this space. They're very compliance driven and very transactional. So, you know, you you see the the stereotypical accountant in your head wearing a green shade in the back office, 
crunching numbers, working through the GL, doing debits and credits to produce these financial statements. And, you know, the, these accounting nerds, but really the, the revolution and the evolution of the role is becoming more strategically driven, meaning that you take the numbers and you take these financial statements and you understand the story behind the numbers and the data. And then you use that story to go out there and execute out there in the world. So when I go talk about strategic financial leadership, it's really this message to say, hey, we need to upskill as an industry in FinOps. We need to learn how strategy integrates with finance. I've been talking about this for, like I said, over a decade. And it's exciting to see all this come about. I think you know, early on when I was talking about, I was like, yeah, 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 Steve, we need to be more strategic, but the CEO doesn't even let me in the you know, the strategy room, I'm not even involved in these main, you know, major conversations, or it's like, I don't have time to do this. I got, you know, the financial packet is due in a week and I got to focus on that or whatever it may be, all these reasons and excuses. So it's cool now seeing this transition because you're right. I think AI can be do a great job of analyzing the data, pulling data together, combining data, whatever it may be. But then somebody ultimately has to look at what this artificial intelligence is is saying, what the output is, look at it and then go make actions, like take action steps to go like execute amongst all the nuances that exist out there, right? Because you can take a financial report, you could put it through your AI. I'll come back and say, Steve, you know, over the last 12 months, your revenue has dropped by 13.5% and your gross margin has declined by 5% at the same time. We recommend you raise prices and cut your overhead by you know, $3.5 million. And it's like, okay, that's great. Well, you can't just take that and go raise prices because there's nuances with the customers or the products or, okay, the positioning in the market and our differentiation strategy and all this stuff. So I think there's a lot there. So I agree with you. Jobs I don't think are going to be replaced, but I do think people have to change their mindset and the way that they use data in order to go out there and like drive value and execute out there in the world. What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so as we just said before, um, and I put a post on LinkedIn as well, competition is going to drive change. I believe the more vast adoption. So for the people that believe it's FOMO, fear of missing out, the people that believe it's just a fad, people that believe that, oh, really, it's not going to really do much for you, for us. Your competition is going to drive you in this, in this space. So strategic leadership, right? The boardrooms, et cetera. If you're talking about from a finance perspective, KPMG is doing it. And they're making the investments based on the customer experience. Mm -hmm. That's what they say. Now, that could be shrouded in we're going to remove costs from the business, but they're focused on the customer experience. That's what PWC is doing. That's what Ernst & Young is doing. That's what they're all doing. It's how do I improve the customer experience? So you, you have no choice but to focus on those areas. You need to become an AI-first company. And if it's all about the customer experience, how can you improve what's happening with your client by adopting these AI models and deploying them within your business. And some ideas in terms of how they could do it is, I mean, there's cost savings, productivity enhancements, revenue generations. From cost savings, it can be, how do you cut down the amount of hours it takes to do an audit? Like for instance, if you're if you're helping from a due diligence perspective, I'm aware that you can start due diligence on a company. And as you're pulling in the financials, if you have a, va a vast or a massive amount of due diligence uh, financials, by the time you get all through it, it could be 30 days. And now the financials may have, may change. Sure. So how do you get through things so much faster? How do you not put large teams on that? And you can still gather it, you know, much quicker. That's AI. 
So I like to think of it from this perspective, large language models, which is what GPT is. It takes vast amount of information and correlates it for you. Mm-hmm. It's up to you and a company to decide what information output you want from that. So I, I do believe, you know, coming back to that side is think about that. Think of how you want to deploy it within your business and what makes most sense from a strategy perspective, because your competitors are going to do it when they do it. You have no choice but to play catch up, right? Exactly. So let's take a step back. You know, we got all excited, started talking about artificial intelligence. Let's take a step back. What if somebody's listening to this and they're like, Kurt and Steve, like, I don't even know what the heck you guys are talking about. Like I've heard of artificial intelligence, but from a use case perspective or a day-to-day perspective, like what the heck is artificial intelligence? Maybe they're familiar with GPT chat, um, but maybe we could go into a little bit more practicality here and like, what is it exactly? and, And what are we talking about? Is it sure. like, is it an app? Is it a machine? Is it like a website? Is it like an external piece of hardware? What is artificial intelligence exactly, Kurt? I mean, it's it's programming. It's programming that's able to take information to correlate it and provide a response back. So it's not intelligent yet, which is the sentient bad one, like the Terminator, where it can think and have languages and speak. I mean, that's the that's the part that nobody likes to to kind of talk about. And they all they all fear that aspect of it. But right now, uh, AI has been around for a very long time. IBM's had it with Watson for for years. I mean, there's been a lot of companies deploying. MasterCard's been using it for for decades, right? So Mm -hmm. it's models that have the ability to take information and provide outputs. I mean, that's really what it is at its core function. So now if you want to take a look at where it's advanced to, GPT's really put it on the map for everybody, from a consumer perspective, for everybody to understand what it's like, GPT was the catalyst that really made it burst onto the scene. And here's the reason why. And, and, and real quick, what is, I mean, what is GPT? Is it a company? Is it just a name that stands for something, an acronym like AOL, yep. the internet? Like what? It, let's start even more basic than that. Yeah, so OpenAI is the company. So OpenAI is the company that developed GPT. OpenAI is a, a company that's fantastic at scraping the web to, to gather information. Yep. So what is, yep. really take a look at what AI is. AI uses data. And what they refer to data as is data lake. It's a data either in your company or the World Wide Web, which is a vast amount of data. So OpenAI, they built their model, which is GPT. It's a conversational model. They fed that model by using information from the World Wide Web. They gathered that by scraping the World Wide Web. That's what OpenAI does. So they're using 175 billion parameters of, of information that it's gathered from the web. And then GPT is an actual AI model itself, generational, I mean, um, uh, conversational AI, where it allows generative AI, where it allows you to enter a request into a little line, like an interface, and say, you know, tell me what happened with the Yankees in, you know, 1996. Well, it's going back to that database of information OpenAI has, and it's gathering that and giving it to you in milliseconds. So that's how, really I mean, how does it do that though? Like, because I've used GPT chat and I'll type in something and it spits it right out. Is there somebody behind the scenes like typing it out on the computer? Like, how does it take this piece of data and this piece of data, formulate it into a paragraph and shoots it back out to you? Or is it literally just like copying somebody's website content and it's nope. like, oh, I found this content. I'm going to copy these three sentences and, and shoot it back out to you. Like, how does that yeah, work? It's- so, so the the AI model itself, GPT, is built with parameters. It's built with here. So, the, the break it down to this. Think of it like this: if if somebody asks this, then this is the response. 
if this, then this, right? Very simple. That's how it's it's really developed. It's they have to build this model of given the factors, the values, the the biases, the all, all this information has got to be fed. And then people, data scientists, have to work on that model and tune it and make it better over time. So probably the best way to think of it is you make a bicycle and then you have to test out the bicycle. Whether are the, are the tires round enough? Is the are the pedals moving quick enough? Is the chain right? Is the handlebars the right way? And they keep tweaking and testing and tweaking and testing until you have the final result. But GPT is just an AI model built on parameters that say, if somebody's asking for this, you go out and get this information. And it's from their database itself. It doesn't always mean it's right. It can be biased. It can be harmful. It can yeah. be, you know, uh, racist. It can be, it can all these things. But what happens is humans still have to be involved to go back and test the model and make sure whatever the output is, is following a certain value method and is coming back in a way that they understand. So that's really what it is in its simplest form. It's just a model that's pulling information and it can spit it out to you really quick. I mean, can anybody just go on? I, I mean, with the company's name, open source, can they just go in there and in, like embed this this uh, GPT chat on their website or like, how does that work? Or is it only licensed to a few companies or how does somebody like integrate AI into their business model? So it's probably cheap right now. You can use the GPT you know, API and you can put it within your business and utilize it. The problem is, I mean, that's right now. I think it becomes like this. It's everybody's using it. And then they raise the cost, right? I mean, I, I yeah. think you're eventually yeah. going to see something like that happen in the future. But here's the problem. And a lot of companies, especially in the financial side, have some concerns around it. And they should. Every company should have a, a concern around security and information and protecting that information. If you allow uh, GPT in your business, you're you're giving OpenAI access to your information. Mm-hmm. So you'd have to build things like, it can't look at my HR information. It can't look at this database that has these financials from my customer. So, you know, people are a little concerned about taking GPT as an, as an API and putting it within your business because of the security, maybe HIPAA, maybe PCI, just overall disclosure issues. So there's got to be a better way to do it. And you could do that with building, um, you know, your own AI models using your own information where it's not going to go out into the public sphere. So yes, you could do it, but you may want to rethink it when it comes to your business today. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. So when it comes to like Google, then like we have Google search, which is great. You search anything in the world. I mean, at what point does GBT chat just take over that? And what's the use case between like Googling something and sure it pulls up websites. But I, I mean, imagine like a lot of people Google stuff like, you know, yeah, who won the world series in 1985? Why wouldn't you just use GPT chat and say, Hey, who won the world series? And you know, write me a paragraph that I can send to my friend or whatever. I mean, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Is Google threatened by this or what are your thoughts? So Google has BARD, B-A-R-D, which is their equivalent to ChatGPT. Mm-hmm. One thing about BARD is it's actually trained uh, up to probably recent. They continue to keep recently tra- uh, training it. ChatGPT 4 is up to 2021. So it's, it's the information is a little outdated. However, it's just got more information versus some of the other ones. And then you have Meta that developed large language model too. And they just worked with, they just announced it with Microsoft. So you have Bing Chat Enterprise. So they just announced it today. I'm trying to get into it and understand what all the factors are there. They may have solved for some of the security aspects of GPT, which I just mentioned. If that's the case, you're going to see companies using Bing Chat 
you know, enterprise and probably plug it in within our business. Again, I got to get under the covers to see what's happened from a security perspective. But a lot of them are already putting uh, this GPT and this into their chats itself. So Google has it. Uh, Microsoft has it. Um, Microsoft put it into Bing. So it's in there already. I think you even have LinkedIn is starting to put it in there as well. So each of these companies are putting it in there. Bloomberg GPT, they're putting it in there as well. So the interesting question you ask, and I wonder if you ask for a certain reason, but I was listening to a bunch of folks on like, I think it was all in TikTok. That's um, Jason Kalifianakis and, and a few of the other ones. One of the guys got on there was talking about how is search going to change? Mm-hmm. So it's interesting you brought that up. You know, they believe it's going to change now, become more personalized. So instead of you going on to Google and typing something in, it gives you all the blue lines sure. and you never go past the, the first page. It's probably going to adapt now. It's going to become more personalized to what you're looking for. It's going to give a response to you similar to GPT, where it's going to be, I'm looking for this. And it spits out based on what you've asked for, what you've looked for in the past, what your wants are, your needs are. It's going to personalize things more toward what you're looking for. And probably that's all going to be driven by AI itself. So I wouldn't be surprised if what you're seeing today with a Google search becomes all AI itself and you have a very similar experience uh, that you would have with GPT or Bard today. And that becomes what Google is going forward. Well, I mean, it's crazy. I just did an episode on my business strategy podcast about overcoming biases in the strategy room. And in that episode, you know, I bring up the point that there's these biases that are inherent in everybody's strategy, right? So I, I work with companies and I try to help them to create unbiased strategies. I'm not talking about bias as far as like race or ethnicity or religion or whatever. Instead, I'm talking about biases like confirmation bias, for example. And I just think like, with AI, and we're talking about decision-making and how AI can like enhance decision-making and speed it up at scale. But also, don't you think there's concerns there where, let's just say I'm a CFO, and this is a real case uh, scenario. Like My company that I was, I was CFO of at the time, we were trying to expand into Australia. We were building large-scale utilities, um, utility solar farms out there in the desert, the massive farms, right? Um, and we were looking to move into Australia. And you know, we had some contracts kind of lined up already, but we're talking about, you know, several hundred million dollars of contracts that we were going to go execute on. So it's a pretty big decision for the company. And I built out financial models. And what I did is I had a green team and a red team. The green team was like, go for Australia. The red team was like the, the negative people about Australia, the, the bearish people were like, let's not go. So we both did our models. We both did our research and then we presented at the same time, because you can imagine if I'm a CFO and I don't have that training or that thought process or those intentions, I could easily just come into the strategy room and say, Hey, Kurt, you're my CEO. Um, you know, I did a little bit of GPT chat here. Here are the five reasons why we should expand in Australia. I also did a GPT chat that says, here's the next five-year outlook for utility scale solar farms. Um, also AI, they built a financial model and look like, look at the bottom line. It's a 22% IR. We got plenty of cash to do this. Like everything looks great. And you're like, let's do it. Well, in the real world, you know, back at the ranch here, going and executing on something like that and all the nuances that GPT chat will never pick up on, uh, at least for a long time, you know, like they, it, it could kill the business. So like, how do people use these tools to make better decisions, but also how they not kill the business in the process. And before you answer that, I, my questions are, are long-winded, but that's fine. Huh. Um, with data analytics, I remember going to Nancy Duarte. She's she's awesome. She's a communication expert. She has a firm called Duarte out in Silicon Valley. 
And she has a, a, a course about data analytics. And I went to that and it's, she's really teaching like, okay, you can bias the data and the graphs. Like you could have a graph of like your revenue. You can expand the, the X axis. You can start the bit, the starting point, you know, first data point, not at zero, but start it here. And you could skew the graph. So it looks like revenue is flat and you can go pitch that idea. Hey guys, look, revenue is flat. We need to fire this BD person over here. And they look at the data like, yeah, you're right. Well, you shrink the graph and you you reformat the axis and you're like, well, crap, you know, actually revenue has been like a hockey stick. So like, what are your thoughts on all that? And like biases it with data and making bad decisions and everything else. So people don't just run out there after listening to this episode, use AI and then just like kill their business. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I wouldn't say GPT, right? So GPT is, it's general information, right? It's supposed to be conversational things of that nature. It is goes up to 2021. If you go into GPT itself and you type information in there, that's what it says. GPT-4 is a much higher end model, which is there are people literally all the LinkedIn typing information there, business models. It comes out with graphs and pie charts. There's people building code and putting it in there. Uh, but again, if you remember what I said earlier, and I believe you agreed with it as well, is that you have AI with humans working together. Yep. So you're right. Anybody can bias information. Anybody can stack numbers Anybody can fluff numbers. Anybody can do anything with information. The important part is it comes back to your data. So if you just remove GPT from it altogether and think about from a data perspective, what it's supposed to do is supposed to be a model that's only logical. It's only providing what you're asking for. It removes the emotions. It removes, you know, uh, this person got sick over here. Let's keep them in a job, right? It doesn't yep. care about any of those things, which is good and bad, right? There's, we can argue both parts of that. And you can take both of them into consideration. But if you build it within a business itself, which you, and it's kind of how we approach it as well, is you have to look at a business in four stages. And we we approach this when we come into a strategy and readiness assessment. Mm -hmm. First, you have to look at what is your IT infrastructure today? What does what your business look like today? Are you even AI ready? Do you yep. need to improve security? Do you need to improve your, your system as your architecture? The next thing we look at is your data lake. So AI is built off of data. That's the holy grail. That is the oil. Remember they used to say data is the oil? I mean, it still yeah, is. Yeah. That's what all resides. So back to your question is, the data is important. If your data is bad, bad data gives you bad results. If you play with the graph and the numbers, it gives you whatever result you want, which is a bad result. So we have to clean up that data first. We have to structure. We have to make sure whatever it is, it's accurate. It's good. And then we look, talk about different AI models. What is the problem statement you want? So in the, in the thing you gave is, we want to go into this market. We want to understand the go-to-market numbers. We want to understand the financials. We want to understand other companies are in there. What does the segment look like? What does the market look like? What are people buying, right? And even that, even with information, even that could be a little skewered, right? Yep. Depending upon who's providing you the information. And then the last step is we build a roadmap to show people this is how you can roll it out and we'll do it for them. The reason I bring that up is it all starts with the data. And if you look at GPT or any other model that's out there, it always starts in a pre-production environment. They take data, they clean it up, they work with whoever it is about what the problem statement is. So in your case, it would be, I want to understand financials. I want to understand how I look at markets. I want to understand what the different market conditions are, what the different companies and competition are, what their financials are, what their performance has been over the last three, four years or five years whatever information it is that you believe would be beneficial to make a very strategic decision to go into a market, you'd have that and say, this is what I want the model to find. 
Yep. Well, then the data scientists have to work on that data. Do you have it? Is it already within your business? Is it on the World Wide Web? Do we need to bring in a large language model that has information from the World Wide Web and bring that in as well to gather that? And then you have to start testing it and tweaking it. You never just release it right away. You first look at it and say, let me test it out. It's like doing a test flight on a plane. Nobody gets on a plane without some pilots, test pilots going, we're going for it. Right? Sure, right, right. They take things that mock whatever it is, and they push the plane to its limits. You'd have to do the same thing from an AI perspective. So the way people think of things from the past, the way we do things hasn't changed. You're still going to take something, you're going to test it, you're going to tweak it, you're going to edit it, you're going to make sure it's it's coming out you know, better than it did in the past. That's what they did with GPT. That's what you would do with your own AI model. You would have to do it in a pre-production environment and say, here it is, here's the information. And you'd probably use something that you're aware of. You have something that maybe you did in the past and it worked out. You start plugging that information to the model and you say, let's see what the output is. Yep. And here you get the output. You guys look at it. You say, this makes sense. And you keep testing the model, testing the model, keep feeding the model from a pre-production standpoint until you believe it's ready. That's what OpenAI did. It was working on it since 2019. They released it in 2022. And it came on the market so hot because it was actually producing great results. Mm -hmm. And then it quickly moved to GPT-4. So the, the long answer is you could do all that, but you have to test the data and make sure it's right because you're right. At the end of the day, bad data in can give you a bad result. And you yeah, don't want yeah. to send your business into you know the red because you decided to not test out a model or believe that you should test some model like that. I, I mean, that. It's, it's being done. PwC is doing it. KPMG, they're doing it. Yep. They are actually releasing it. So you know they're testing it right now. They want to make sure it works because they want to make sure the customer experience is there. Yep. So yep. people would tend to look at it and say, let's take care of the low-hanging food first. Let's look at things from an AI perspective. Maybe there's some cost savings in your business first. So before using it to go into new markets and really test things out and really roll a dice on what's going to happen within your business, why don't you start taking care of low-hanging fruit, the easy things? Is there cost savings? Is there a way to improve audits? Maybe go through a ton more audits than you have in the past. You yep. start testing things out. You start improving. And then you start getting deeper into what would be a real business changer and where can you take a little more risk in terms of, uh, you know, that's a revenue generation kind of part of the business, which may take a little bit more time. Yeah, absolutely. No, this is great. And 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 that just takes, you know, goes back to our original point of like upskilling and transforming not just yourself, um, also your business. It's just this overall transformation story, which I'm really excited. And I'm excited to see what's next. So we have to end it now. We it feels like we just got into the the conversation. Geez, Kurt, we could go a lot longer on this. There, there's so much happening here. But um, for today, I think this is a great introduction to AI for a lot of the listeners. So I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your expertise. Obviously, you're very knowledgeable in this space. So it, it's been great to have you as a guest. I really appreciate it. I hope your audience uh, really benefited from it. Yep. And for everybody who's listening, I'm going to go ahead and create a, a page on the website. So if you go to byfiq.com and you look under um, guest, uh, I'll have a page for Kurt Stein. I'll have links where you can find more about um, him and learn more about his company. And if you want to get in contact with him, that's where uh, you can find everything that you need. So thank you for joining once again, Kurt, on this episode and everybody who's listening. I appreciate you uh, tuning in as well. And I wish you all the best 
as you go out there and you learn more about AI and how to transform your organizations and yourself and take things to a whole new level. All right, cheers. Hey, thanks for tuning into the show. If there's any way I can be helpful to you and your business, or if you have feedback or ideas regarding this podcast, shoot me an email at contact at I would love to connect. All the best.